when you're in the trenches and you don't know how you're going to pay your bills or whatever, it's hard to stay positive then. So I really just say focus on building that foundation of your mindset and build out from there. Best ever listeners, I'm so excited to share today's sponsor with you. It's Eastern Union Funding and Arbor Realty Trust. If you're in the multifamily space, you likely recognize these names, but have you used them? Uh, I'm guessing if you haven't, then you probably know someone who has. I can tell you personally, we have used uh, Mark Belsky. He is a point person at Eastern Union Funding as a partner with us, and he has helped us secure debt uh, for actually a deal we closed on this month. And we've worked with him. Um, in addition, my clients, my program, my consulting program have worked with him to successfully close on deals. When we were starting out, Ashcroft was starting out, we had somewhat of a track record, but we weren't fully as established with our investor network. I went to him and we secured some equity, $500,000 in equity to fund one of our deals. While he works with more institutional partners, you know, he's uh, brought $200 million in equity over the last 12 months. He was able to help us out there and we built a relationship with him and Eastern Union Funding ever since. So if you need equity for your deal and you have a track record, then he's your point person. His number is 212-897-9875. If you need debt, then he partners up with Arbor on a lot of transactions. So if you're a multifamily borrower who wants agency or bridge debt, then that's the team to work with. Uh, we have worked with their team, both Eastern Union and Arbor, on deals. And people who have purchased our deals, purchased deals from us, have used Arbor, as well as my clients in my consulting program, they've used it. So this is a recommendation that comes from firsthand experience. And the last thing I'll say about uh, working with Mark Belsky at Eastern Union is that if you need a loan guarantor, but don't have that track record quite yet, then Mark can look at what you've, the deal you've got and assuming it checks out, he can make introductions to people he knows as potential loan guarantors for your deal. So debt, equity, and potentially loan guarantors. Uh, all you need, well, you need to find a deal, obviously. Um, but besides that, you know the other main components of the deal they can help you out with. So talk to Mark Belsky. His email is mbelsky at easterneq.com and his phone number 212-897-9875. Best ever listeners, how you doing? Welcome to the best real estate investing advice to ever show. I'm Joe Fairless. This is the world's longest running daily real estate investing podcast where we only talk about the best advice ever. We don't get into any of that fluffy stuff with us today. Chad Whitfelt. How you doing, Chad? Doing great, Joe. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. Nice to have you on the show. And a little bit about Chad. He started investing in the equities market at 17 years old before moving to currency markets. He joined Blue Spruce to apply his online media skills while learning real estate. Blue Spruce is a real estate company. He lost everything, though, and was a valet in downtown Denver. And now he has partnered up to be a partner on 100 units all within about eight months based in Denver, Colorado. So with that being said, Chad, you want to give the best ever listeners a little bit more about your background and your current focus? Absolutely. So for my background, I grew up in Michigan and I was in the process of moving out to Denver when I realized that I was flat broke. 
And the kind of the backstory behind that is I was pretty heavily focused in the foreign exchange market. And I graduated college, I was moving out to Denver, and I arranged this partnership with a guy who I had trusted with my trading account. And at the time, shame on me for putting everything in one account and giving someone access to it. But I was a hungry kid out of college, and I wanted to quote unquote, make it as a professional trader. And it turned out the individual just didn't have the financial responsibility and he was placing just massive positions on my account, blew it up. And then I got LinkedIn here in Denver with my current partners now. But at the time I was in the process of moving here and didn't really know how to pay for my rent and all those things. So I was parking valet when I was closing my first apartment deal in Bridgeport, Connecticut. We closed that and then we closed an 83 unit property in Branson, Missouri as well. So a lot has happened very, very quickly. (laughs) Wow. No kidding. That was all within the last eight months? Within eight months. I think I was in like Iowa driving from Michigan to Denver (laughs) when I realized I had no money. Dang. Yeah. So it happened really quickly. How much did that person lose of your money that was in the account? At the time, like I said, I was fresh out of college. So I had about $26,000 saved. And that was from working from 15 till 22, 23. That that makes me sick. Oh man, it was a lot of money for me. It was everything I had. So I was always growing up in a pretty middle-class family. So I never went without. And I always worked in the summers and this, that, and the other thing. So for the first time in my life, I had felt that true, real financial pain of how am I going to pay my bills? <laughs> wow. What did you say to the person who lost 26000 Oh, man, it was tough. I didn't even know what to think. When something like that happens, the first initial thing is you don't believe it, right? You think, okay, this is just a glitch on my broker. This can't be real. And then you kind of come to terms. And I don't remember exactly what I said to him, but I have to imagine... <laughs> I use some profanities for sure. And the the trouble is this is an individual that I met in the online community. I never met him in person. So it's not like I could go and have a face-to-face conversation with him. And it, it wound up with him just blocking me on every communication platform. And since we didn't have any operating agreements or any contractual agreements in place, there was no recourse on my end. So it was just a hard lesson for sure. Which leads us to the lessons that you learned. What are they from this? Honestly, due diligence on people. Don't ever follow somebody just blindly. It doesn't matter their status or whatever the case is, who's in their network or what names behind them. Just don't follow someone blindly. And then number two, just diversification. Always, always never put so much risk on one entity like that. Due diligence on people, but even after the due diligence, having written agreements in place, right? Oh yeah, absolutely. Okay, so when did this happen? How many months ago from our conversation right now? Right now, this happened, I would say, nine months ago. Exactly. Okay, nine months ago, you lost everything that you had saved since a teenager through what we just talked about. And then what happened after that once you came down to earth and you had some sanity and clarity? What did you do next? Sure. Um, Well, I was fresh to Denver at the time and I knew nobody here. And I just was going through a lot of self-reflecting and thinking, so I did graduate college. I didn't mention that. I did go to school. I did get a degree. So going and getting a corporate job was always an option. It was certainly always an option that would have kind of settled that pain. But I I knew myself well enough that I wanted to make it as kind of an, an entrepreneurial phase and that I didn't want to live a life of asking permission 24 seven. I don't want to ask permission to go 
ride my bike in the mountains. I don't want to ask permission to go fly wherever. I like to kind of create my own path. So I was focused on making that happen. So the first thing I did was just figure out how I can make some money to live. So I started just parking valet because that gave me some flexibility. I was at least able to go park cars at night instead of working during the day. How much um, can you make on that? I was probably making about 25 bucks an hour, 30 bucks an hour, something okay. like that. Downtown Denver, just try and find the high-end locations and shake hands and smile. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> so, so that was the first focus is paying my bills. Second focus was start to build my network in Denver. So I started attending meetup groups and networking events like it was my full-time job. I was going to them every single day. And I actually got linked into my business partners. Now, my first point of contact was my business partner, Brad, who I met at the bike park. We're both pretty active mountain bikers. And I lived here in Denver for two days and I just didn't know anybody. I wanted to meet some friends. So I just said, hey man, it's a sweet bike. And we just kind of started going back and forth. And he says, hey, I'm in real estate. It's great. I've been interested in getting real estate. I go to our business partner, Adam Adams, his meetup group. I meet Adam, grab his attention a little bit. And long story short, we just set an appointment and now I'm business partners with him. But after my head kind of calmed down, I was just focused on action. I was focused on making steps forward to kind of remediating that loss and remediating that pain. So I think in situations like that, it's really easy to get focused on the bad instead of focusing on the solutions. So I think that mindset shift for me is what really helped a lot. How many units are you in? Just 100 well, units right now. <laughs> you say just. That's a lot of units. So I think I heard you say an 83 unit. Yep, 83. Where, and that's in Branson, Missouri. Branson, Missouri. And then I guess I can do math. 17 unit in Bridgeport. Yep, Connecticut. Okay, got it. 25 bucks an hour times, let's say, 40 hours times four weeks. That's about 4000 a month, 48000 a year, plus or minus. So I imagine your role in these apartment communities isn't just investing your own money since you started from zero nine months ago and you got a $25 an hour job. So what is your role in these communities? I actually invested no money into these deals. I invested my time and my expertise and my knowledge. And as far as the math on the valet, I wasn't working 40 hours a week. That's the thing. My focus was getting away from that as much as possible. So my full-time job at that point was building my real estate journey. So to answer your question, my role in these apartment communities is, I guess I'd like to say I wear quite a few hats. I help on the lead gen side of deal flow and investors. Primarily though, the backstory behind that is when I first joined the team, I wasn't partnered with them. I was just their acquisitions guy. So all I was doing was cold calling brokers and wholesalers and saying, this is who I am. This is who I'm working with. These are the assets we're buying. What's your email? I'm going to send you over my buying criteria. So I was getting pretty frustrated because I was making 40, 50 phone calls a day, following up with more emails than I can even count. And my inputs were not matching my outputs in the sense of, These brokers were sending me single family deals and new developments and empty pieces of land. It's just very off the wall stuff that's not even close to my buying criteria. So I went back to my business partners and I said, hey guys, this might be what you've been taught by whoever, but I don't really think this is working very well. What if I can position you, this company and ourselves 
so that deals and all the moving pieces of closing a deal comes to us instead of going out and actively seeking it. I said, okay, show me what you got. So I just started showing them a lot of intent-based marketing strategies that were actually going to convert and actually bring us leads in different facets of real estate. So just to kind of give you a quick example, we had a 160 unit property under contract last month. And that deal came to us because I had my partner record me a video explaining what IRR is and debt service coverage ratio and what it means in the apartment syndication community. And I make sure that the algorithms of social media are right. And I post it and make sure the engagement gets right and it gets out to the right people. And that brought us a deal that we actually put under contract. So just a lot of digital development, online development, and making sure that our message is positioned properly and it gets in front of the right people. So that's my primary focus in the company. I also pre-underwrite deals, help raise money with my personal network of investors. So definitely a couple different hats, but it's been awesome. It's been a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun to hear your story and how you've created the value and made room for yourself and put yourself at the table with the team. As far as the 160-unit deal, you said you had it under contract last month. Did it close? No, we let the contract dissolve on that. What happened? It was a pretty medium rehab, so it needed roofs and all kinds of different things. So in our initial due diligence phase, just based off of our communications with the seller and the broker, we anticipated about $1.6 million of CapEx. And at the time, we hadn't visited the property in person, and we sent one of our partners down to the asset, and he walked the property. And we just found a lot of things that hadn't gotten disclosed by the sellers or the broker. Like what? And the exterior stairwells all needed to be replaced. Actually, the day after my partner left, someone actually stepped through. It broke on them. Oh, man. Yes, it just didn't pass through our due diligence. We're very, very strict with what we're going to close on. So we still pursued the deal, but we had a contractor come out and bid out the entire rehab line by line. And it came out to be a little bit more than we originally anticipated. So we went back to the seller for a renegotiation and they just were not interested. So we said, okay, we'll work on our other deals and thanks for your time. Mm -hmm. So that's just how that worked out. What are some other examples of intent-based marketing strategies that you do now that's generated leads? A lot of it comes through content production and social media. So specifically, our last property that we actually closed, it came to us in a Facebook group. Somebody had asked the question, and I believe my partner went in and gave them a very educated, very well thought out, very well genuine answer. So when other people see you doing this, it shows that you're credible. It shows that you know what you're talking about. It shows that you come from a place of value. And the same thing, that person reached out to us, said, looks like you're doing awesome things in multifamily. I'd love to bring you deals so that they wound up bringing us the 83 unit property and we closed on it. But yeah, if anybody sees, I'm not talking about specifically my business partner with any of the big names, Grant Cardone and Gary Vee and, and Ty Lopez and Tony Robbins. And you see their content and you see the videos that they're producing. You have to understand that these things are very well engineered to appeal to a certain person and make them feel a certain type of way and then respond accordingly. But we do the same thing. It's very strategic. So a lot of our content that we produce, we have a podcast as well. That brings us deals, that brings us investors, people who want to work with us. And we just kind of replicate that process through different mediums, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, YouTube. 
So honestly, it's really just about positioning the message, showing who we are, what we're doing, that we're credible, that we can close, and providing value along the way. So a lot of it comes through an educational standpoint, teaching people how to position themselves properly online, teaching people how to pre-underwrite a property without spending three hours just going through a basic T12 before going through full just teaching people these little ins and outs and trying to provide as much value to our marketplace as possible. And it typically comes back in the form of deals and investors. The 83 unit in Branson, what more can you tell us about that in terms of purchase price and business plan? That was acquired for $3.1 million. And that property had about $1.2 million of CapEx and renovations before we acquired it. So it's doesn't need really any value add. What we really like about that property is our property manager is one lady and she's been managing that asset for several years. She knows all her tenants by name. She hosts weekend barbecues in the courtyard. So right now it has a lot of older residents. So we have discussed kind of positioning it and I don't want to say converting, but kind of just moving it over to kind of like a light assisted living center. That's something that we wouldn't really execute on for a couple of years. But right now it's a pretty straightforward asset. It doesn't need really any updating. It doesn't really need much repositioning. So just making sure that it cash flows properly, keeping the occupancy up, rinse and repeat really. What is a light? And you said L-I-G-H-T, right? Light assisted living. Okay. What is a light assisted living facility look like? This isn't something that I've really heard of as a strategy or before, but assisted living centers, you have a caregiver there the whole time, right? So a light model of that would just be somebody to help the older residents get their groceries, help them cook once in a while. They're not there the primarily the whole time, but really just kind of creating the community and creating the environment around the older demographic to attract more into that property. How do you model that in your underwriting when you're acquiring the property? We underwrite very conservatively. So we underwrite from a standpoint of where the property is standing today. But basically, we had anticipated that if we do decide to execute this strategy, we'd be able to charge higher rents due to the extra amenities and obviously just offset the expenses from there as well. From the 83 unit, before we move on to the 17, from the 83 unit... For the best of our listeners who are listening, you're like, wow, I want to get on an 83 unit too. How much money have you made from this to date, if anything, so far? Our company takes an acquisition fee straight from the close and then monthly distributions off the cash flows. So the way ours is structured is our partners are on the general partnership side, and then we have a sponsor on our general partnership side as well. And then on the limited partnership side, just have our equity investors. And what's nice about this property has been cash flowing since day one. So we've already received some quarterly distributions off of it. Oh, that's great. So what was the acquisition fee? I believe it was originally in our original underwriting, it was 3% and then we brought it down to 2%. I'm not very good at math. I want to say it was like 60 or 70,000. Cool. And how much were you able to take away from that? Well, since we had to split some of it with our sponsors, and then we split it up between our partners on the general partnership side, I want to say it came out to like nine or 10,000 per person off of it. 
that is 400 hours worth of valet. So that's darn good, right? (laughs) (laughs) The way I look at it too is you're putting in the work for something that's going to pay you off for the next seven, eight, nine years. So it's just a long-term play, really. You all are in Missouri, and now let's go way up the East Coast to Bridgeport, Connecticut, 17-unit. How'd you come across that deal? That property came off to us on Facebook. It's crazy. It's like people look at social media as just a place to post pictures of your dogs and your kids, but business actually goes down on Facebook and Instagram and stuff. So it's pretty cool to see acquisition and see a forward ROI from those efforts. Specifically from Facebook, was it an ad or was it just a post that you did on your group page or what was it exactly? Basically, this property was already under a contract and moving through due diligence before I came onto the team. But I believe this property came to Adam Adams just through networking in a Facebook group. Not his own group, but somebody else's. So 17 unit, was it represented by a broker? Yes. And what are the numbers on this one? I believe... I, you weren't as close <laughs> to this one as the other I'm, one. I, no, I really right, fair wasn't. Enough. Yeah, yeah. No. I, 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 we, won't, we won't get into details on this one. I'm really grateful that you talked to us about that 83 unit. That was really helpful for just understanding the mechanics behind it and how you all found it. What was your major in college? Entrepreneurship. Ah, cool. Where'd you go? Entrepreneurship. I went to Northern Michigan University up in Marquette. All right. What is your best real estate investing advice ever? I would just say, honestly, for me, it all starts with the mindset. It's so easy to talk about it. It's so easy to go post a status on Facebook about surrounding yourself with the right people or staying positive or this and that. But to actually execute upon it when things are not looking good, that's what's hard. When you're in the trenches and you don't know how you're going to pay your bills or whatever, it's hard to stay positive then. So I really just say focus on building that foundation of your mindset and build out from there because you can't really build an empire on a weak foundation. What's one thing you do regularly that works on your mindset? Gratitude. Constant, constant gratitude. I'm in a position right now in my life where I'm young and I'm in this game of real estate and I'm surrounded by people who've already found their success, who've already done it. So instead of looking at them out of jealousy or greed or any of this, look out of them out of gratitude that you even know them. Look out of them out of appreciation. So this past weekend, I'm a huge dirt biker and I went up in the mountains with 12 guys that I was riding with and pretty much all of them were very successful real estate entrepreneurs. And they've got their toy haulers and their brand new diesel trucks and brand new dirt bikes. And I'm riding with them on my 1998 KTM dirt bike. But you know what? The entire time I had so much gratitude and so much appreciation that I was even able to get out there in the first place. So it's coming from that place of constant gratitude. Beautiful. Love that. We're going to do a lightning round. You ready for the best ever lightning round? Let's do it. All right. Let's do it. First, a quick word from our best ever partners. Do you need debt for your deal, equity for your deal, or maybe a loan guarantor to help you get qualified for the financing? Talk to Mark Belsky. His number is 212-897-9875. That's 212-897-9875. His email is mbelsky at easterneq.com. Have you heard about the latest podcast for entrepreneurs called Tough Decisions? Listen to Dan and Danae Hanford as they interview successful people from around the world about tough decisions as entrepreneurs. Visit toughdecisions.net and be sure to subscribe to their free weekly entrepreneurial email 
That's toughdecisions.net. Best ever book you've recently read? How to Win Friends and Influence People, Dale Carnegie. What's a mistake you've made on a transaction? Real estate specifically? Yeah. Well, yeah, we already talked about that other one. <laughs> <laughs> I guess you could say that this 160-unit deal had a mistake in it in the sense of we didn't dig as deep as we needed to in the very beginning. But at the same token, I believe there's a process to things like we've kind of have this rule in our company that we're not going to go visit a property until it's under contract. And that was brought to us through previous experiences that didn't transact either. So just keep your ducks in a line and it's not closed until it's closed. Best ever way you like to give back? Helping others. I'm not where I intend to be yet, but I've been through a lot over the last eight months between losing it all and then making some real momentum in my life. So I started to help other young entrepreneurs in my space and I do more calls than I can count just to help them get their businesses going. Best way the best ever listeners can learn more about what you got going on and get in touch with you. Find me on Instagram. It's at CW underscore invests. You can find me at Facebook. It's just my name, Chad Whitfelt. Post a lot of content, a lot of stories, and the best place to reach me is probably in those DMs right there. Inspiring conversation. Love hearing how you overcame a pretty challenging financial situation. And here's a question. Are you happy that it happened? Very. I'm yeah. very, very happy. Yeah. Isn't it crazy how that works? It really is. It. Uh, <laughs> those pain points, they're the greatest motivators and the greatest educators. Yeah. Uh, thank you for getting specific with us about what you did next how you added value, how you focused on networking and going to meetups as a full-time job, making some money on the side just to pay rent and food and gas for your dirt bike, and then now what you've done and what you haven't even scratched the surface. Really inspiring to hear this. So thanks so much for being on the show. Hope you have a best ever day, and we'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Joe. Have you heard about the latest podcast for entrepreneurs called Tough Decisions? Listen to Dan and Danae Hanford as they interview successful people from around the world about tough decisions as entrepreneurs. Visit toughdecisions.net and be sure to subscribe to their free weekly entrepreneurial email. That's toughdecisions.net.